we like to watch Shark Week, and we like to watch all the different things, and we've watched Mythbusters, and we've watched all these different programs every night for a week, you know, when, when Shark Week comes on. And I've noticed that um, if they want to draw sharks, have you all noticed this? What do they do when, when they want to bring sharks around to the boat so they can film them and do all their stupid tests? And by stupid, I mean there's some stupid. What do they do? They chum. What is chum? It's blood and pieces of fish. And so they'll go up and they'll pull this one area and they'll chunk the chum over. And we did that for catfishing a few weeks ago, Jeff and I did. And holy mackerel, that stuff he has will do something to you. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so when they want to gather all of these sharks, they'll throw all this blood in the water. Why? why? What, what is attractive about that to sharks? The smell. They can smell like one drop of blood in the, the water the size of a football field. And, and what do they do when they smell blood? They rush to the area. And, and so there was one, these, these two losers, and, and I, I say that nicely, these two losers, they recruited from somewhere. One of them actually had been on Survivor before, the other guy I had never seen. They recruited these two losers to come and do some experiments for them. One of these losers looks right in the camera and he says with a dead straight face, one of my goals in life is to be bitten by a great white shark. And I thought, you're an idiot. And he's, and he's, he's dead serious and they're like, yeah, really? No, no, I want to be bitten by a shark. I want to have that experience. And I'm thinking, that may be the last thing that happens to you on this planet. You may get your wish and I guess he would die a happy man. And, you know, when you see the sharks coming in, they are coming from everywhere. And I don't want to be in the water with them. I'm not, you know, like overly afraid of sharks or anything, but, but I'm, I, I have a little bit of a brain. And, and it seems like if there's blood in the water and there are lots of sharks around, something bad's going to happen. Maybe I'd get in the, in, in the water if they had the cage, you know, but these people are getting out and they're swimming with the sharks. And there was one Mythbusters where they were on this ship and they decided to see if light would attract sharks. And so they went down there at night, no cages, anything. And sure enough, light attracts sharks. I mean, they're coming from everywhere. And, and the girl, I don't even remember her name, but she's going, um, I'm getting really, really scared now. And, you know, the cameraman's having to fend off sharks with his camera. And, and I'm thinking, y'all are stupid. But, you know, this, this activity, it's actually called a feeding frenzy. When sharks sense blood, when they, when they, if there is a, uh, some type of injured animal in the water and they sense this blood, they go in this feeding frenzy and they come and it's, the, it's just the, the survival of the strongest at that point because they will eat everything and then you see this one retarded shark coming along and nothing's left, you know, and he's swimming through the empty blood and he's all disappointed. And, and, uh, and, and I got to thinking about this. If you feed a shark, does that fully and finally satisfy his desire for blood? Is he content then from that point on to be a vegetarian if you feed him some blood? No? That's kind of ludicrous, right? That's because an appetite is never fully or finally satisfied. When you feed an appetite, what happens to it? It wants more. You feed your appetite. What happens to it? Golly, y'all are acting like I felt about two hours ago. Um, I was kind of struggling. Um, but, but if you feed an appetite, it grows, right? Well, okay, let me give you this quick progression of what's happened with the, with the, um, with the credit fairy. 
In week one, Wes and Jen, and we're just next week we're probably just going to play clips of all of these just so you can get caught up if you hadn't been here. Week one, Wes and Jen are sitting in their, their house and, and they are dissatisfied with their current status of everything. Their TV's too small and they don't have good stuff. And, and so they wish for the credit fairy and the credit fairy shows up. Week two, the credit fairy gives them a whole bunch of credit cards and Jen tries to talk sense into him and the credit fairy hypnotizes Wes so that he no longer hears Jen's voice of reason. All he hears is blah, 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 blah. This week, the credit fairy has convinced Wes to go on a feeding frenzy. Enjoy. Believe it or not, we stopped traffic in downtown Palestine with that one. Um, uh, the men wanted to shoot us, and uh, there was a lady who came up and said, um, can I take your picture? And I said, sure. And she's, she's got her cell phone. She said, hold on a minute. I've got to delete some of my grandchildren so I can get you on here because nobody's going to believe that this happened in downtown Palestine. She goes, what's this for? And I said, well, we're actually filming for our church. And she goes, what church did you go to? I said, I'm actually very afraid to tell you right now because you would not understand. Um, yeah, I, I sure didn't tell her that that was the fairy was the pastor. And she did say, she said, I feel like I'm in South Miami uh, with the transvestites, and I said, I'm definitely not one of those. And she goes, oh, I know that, sweetie. Click, click, and then she wanted to. And, and the lady at, um, the silver lady whistled at me and told me I had nice legs. And The only reason I would do that in public is because I had the wig and the glasses on. I actually forgot them, and I felt very, very much afraid walking across the street to get my wig and glasses because everybody would know me. And Drew said, that's really funny that what scares you is not having on the wig and the glasses and you're wearing the pink tutu across the street to get your wig and your glasses. Uh, okay, now, um, Wes went on a feeding frenzy. And, and I don't know if you've ever been around when somebody's gone on a, a credit feeding frenzy. How many of you are the annual shop after the day after Thanksgiving sale people? Let me see your hands. The rest of you are smart. I've done this like twice. Now, now I'm not saying those of you who go out and shop, the, the prices are better than ever before because the, the people know, the, the retailers know that if they can get you there with the, the cheap stuff, you're probably going to buy other stuff. My uh, father-in-law, several years ago, he passed away, but, but before he did, one time he got a computer and he, he almost had to wrestle a rather large, irate woman to get it. He got there before she did, was picking it up to put it in his shopping cart, and she threatened him. And, and Papa Bill went very quickly with his shopping cart at Walmart in Stephenville, Texas, away from this, this bad situation. It is a feeding frenzy when we have prices like that. And, and retailers know, they call it Black Friday, because they know that if they can get you to come and have this feeding frenzy, frenzy then they're going to make a profit for the year. Well, I, I, let's just talk about it. Well, <laughs> I was thinking of feeding frenzies, and I saw a couple other things. Have you ever been to Mother's Day card aisle? On Mother's Day, a lot of times I will go and get things, you know, last-minute stuff for the church. I'll remember we need cups or we'll need something. I'll go to Walmart. This past year on Mother's Day, you could not walk down the Mother's Day aisle, and there wasn't jack left. There's just scraps of paper. You know, I think people were writing their own little thing just to give something to their mom. It was a feeding frenzy on Mother's Day card aisle. And, and all of us at some time or another have gone on a feeding frenzy when it comes to buying things. 
Yeah, let's change the picture. Uh, I think they were just going to leave that there to distract you. Um, I'm, I'm glad you don't like that picture. That's, that's good, Jason. Um, well, let's talk about a couple of things. Discontentment is where we're headed today in this feeding frenzy thing. This is on your listening guide. Discontentment is an appetite that is never fully or finally satisfied. Let's just uh, take a little poll here. How many of you love the vehicle that you are driving right now, that you're presently driving? How many of you don't? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. This will not be held against you. Why does a new car salesman want you to come in and test drive the new car? Possible sales, probable sales, if they can get you in the nicest one. And what almost always happens when you go into the car dealership, if you start playing their game, you buy something beyond what you intended to buy because you just can't live without all of those gadgets that are going to make your life so much better. The new car smell, because like my car smells like family. Um, you know, there's stuff from years ago in my car, and uh, at least our kids are older now, which just brings older odors. I mean, you know, when we had little ones, there might be spit up and diapers and stuff like that, but now we're not even going to mention some of the things that go on in the back seat of my car. So my car smells like family, and if I can drive that new car, it's so much better. Now, I, I have a um, borrowed cell phone. This is a borrowed cell phone, because mine... I. Uh, when we were building the building, I actually rolled over on it up above the women's restroom. I was putting in some plumbing that didn't work, and I was rolling around up there, and I cracked the screen, so mine doesn't work anymore. Several of you tried to call me about three or four weeks ago, and, and I would be going, hello, hello, and, and you, you couldn't hear me, and I could hear you, and, and it was just a bad thing. But, but why do they come out with new and better cell phones like every other day? So you'll buy more. You know, the iPhone is crazy. Google has their new phone that's going to supposedly rival the iPhone. And, and if you watch people that have those, no, no offense if you have an iPhone, no offense. But people who have iPhones, whip them out and say, I can get on the Internet. Where do you want to go? And I'm like, I, I want to go to the post office in Palestine. I already know where that is. Yes, but I found it on Google, Google Maps, you know. Why do they do that? So you'll be dissatisfied with what you presently own. Computers. If you ever walk out of the store with a computer, it's obsolete. They've already made something ten times faster so that you'll become dissatisfied. Because if discontentment is an, uh, is an appetite, the retailers know they must feed that appetite in order to keep their company profitable. So we in America, we, we fall for it all the time. Now, there's a myth out there that says, if you feed an appetite, it will be satisfied. And, and let me just talk to the men here. Remember when you were a teenage boy? Remember when, when you started noticing females? And remember how strong the sex drive was? And there's this little thing going on in your head that, that says, if I could just have sex one time, life would be so much better. My, my drive for sex would be satisfied. Is that true? Nobody wants to talk about sex. Y'all talk about credit cards, you talk about cell phones, but sex. Nobody in church likes sex. God designed sex. It's supposed to be good in marriage. Okay, we'll go on over that later. Move on. How about ice cream? If you eat one bowl of ice cream, does that fully and finally satisfy your desire for bluebell? Look at y'all talking now. Yeah, sure, you'll talk now. 
Alcohol. If you have one drink of alcohol, does that fully and, and finally satisfy your appetite for alcohol? Drugs, gambling, anything that you can think of, if you just taste it once, does it fully and finally satisfy your desire, your appetite for that? No. No. Well, here's the second thing. Any appetite that you feed grows. Now, you think about all the addictions, and there's new addictions all the time coming out in, in our American Medical Association journals. We have alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction, and, and we need to put consumer addiction. If you're coming to uh, Financial Peace, you, you hear about this on Sunday nights. There is a consumer addiction, and it's credit card. We love plastic, and we need to have plastic surgery to get over this. Um, so if, if this, if discontentment is an appetite, and if I feed that appetite and it grows, what in the world do I do? To combat that. Well, amazingly, God has some instructions about fighting discontentment. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If not, you can just follow along up here on the screen. We're going to look through several verses here, and we're going to talk about um, what God has to say about it. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6. Yet true religion with contentment is great wealth. Now, you notice on the screen that I have underlined some things. If you're following in your Bible, you might want to underline these words as well. True religion with contentment is great wealth. After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world, and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. All right, let's define contentment. Contentment means an inner peace in spite of the circumstances. Inner peace in spite of the circumstances. So if you think about discontentment, it would be the opposite. Inner turmoil in spite of the circumstances of life. True contentment comes from what is in your heart, not what's in your wallet. We need to make up our own commercials to go against Capital One. What's in your wallet? Well, that's not where contentment comes from. Now, let me, let me just say this. Contentment is not always bad. The United States of America was started because a group of people became discontent with the status quo of, of the ruling um, elite of England. That, so there was some discontent that, that fueled the birth of our nation. Uh, the civil rights movement was, was born because there was a discontent with the way things were going, the, the, the social realities in America. New Life Community Church was started because a group of us were discontent with the way church was going around us. And we said there ought to be a church in Palestine for people who are far from God. A church where people and the pastor don't take themselves so seriously. A, a church where you can come and you can have fun. But you can hear the Word of God because we desperately believe that the Word of God are not just idle words. The Word of God calls itself your life. And so discontentment doesn't have to be bad. Discontentment can lead you to good or to bad. And, and today we're going to talk about this financial discontentment that leads us toward bad. And, and I want you to, to realize that, that how we're going to, to do this, you do not overcome, you don't become content by sitting around thinking, I do not want a new car, I do not want a new car, I do not want a new car, I do not want a new car. And then suddenly, I don't want a new car. No, that's not how you do it. In the Bible, we're never told, now hang on here, we're never told to resist temptation. We are told to resist the devil. We're never told to resist temptation. You know what you're supposed to do with temptation? Run. Flee from temptation. You're supposed to not think about it, but refocus or get yourself out of the situation. 
When I was in college, I was in a philosophy class, and, and we were discussing um, uh, sex before marriage. This is at Baylor University, supposedly a Christian university. Uh, we won't get into that, but, but at least they had some Bible classes. We were discussing this, sitting around this group, and I'll never forget that this one girl said, sometimes you just can't help having sex. I'm sitting there, I'm 19 years old, and I'm a virgin. And uh, I said, what? And she said, sometimes you just can't help it. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I told her, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, and I shared with her the wisdom that my dad gave me. Keep your pants zipped and on, and you won't have sex. And so I said, did your pants just fall off? No. Here's the deal. If you will remove yourself from the situation, the way you help it is not to wait until you're in the back seat of the car or if you're in a motel room with somebody of the opposite sex. The way, that's not the way you handle sexual temptation. The way you handle sexual temptation is to, to decide up front, this is a line I will not cross and when I get anywhere near that line, I'm boogieing out of there. You run away from sexual temptation. Well, the way that we're going to handle this discontentment, this financial discontentment, is to refocus our attention and not put ourselves in those situations where we are uh, destined to fail, where you just can't help it, and that credit card just jumps out of your wallet and on there and buys those things that you do not need. Now, so often we think that, that we cannot resist uh, or we can't live without something. The reality is you can live without it. You just choose not to live without that creature comfort. Um, I read a story about a simple uh, Quaker who was standing outside. He was living in a neighborhood. He was standing outside and he was watching his neighbor move in, new neighbor move into his house. And the new neighbor had all of the furnishings and all of the toys that come with success. After he gotten everything moved in, the Quaker walks over and, and he says to him, he says, neighbor, if thou... If ever thou dost need anything, come to see me, and I will tell thee how to get along without it. That's pretty wise. He'd learn to live without it. The reality is we choose not to live without these things, and it gets us in trouble. Contentment is being okay with what we have, not what we don't have. It's focusing on all the good things you have. And that means focusing on health, on food, on clothing, toys, children, roof over your head. You all are sitting in, in creature comforts today. We have, we have lights on, we have air conditioning, and we almost didn't have that a couple of weeks ago when I hit, but we just were without for a minute. If you were one of those who had to do without electricity for a while, you know it got kind of difficult. Imagine people in the world who don't ever have electricity and don't ever have running water. We went to Matamoros, Mexico one time, and we, were, we didn't go right across the border. I mean, we did that, but we drove on through the, the city and went to the poor side of town. When we got to the poor side of town, there were huts, literal huts, leaning up, and, and this one um, didn't even have a door. I mean, there was a doorway, but there was nothing you could close. And so I'm walking along with these two girls in my youth group, and we've been trained in just enough Spanish to tell people about Jesus, which is really, really funny when you can't speak Spanish and you say a couple of lines in Spanish and they start going crazy in Spanish, and you're like, ah, and you go back to your little card. Jesus in mi corazón. Jesus is in my heart. You know, we started talking about that. We're walking along in this neighborhood, and, and a pig comes running out of the house. And I said, was that a pig? And I said, that was a pig. Dirt floors, no electricity, no running water, 
And the lady outside, she was an elderly lady, she was washing clothes on the old washboard. And she invited us to, come on, come on. And, and she didn't speak much English and we didn't speak much Spanish, but she wanted us to get out of the sun and she pulled us over into the shade and she started talking to us and we started reading our little lines. And she was so happy. When we got to Jesus is in my heart, she said, oh, she has this in mi corazón. That's all I remember from the whole thing. And I walked away from there going, she's got jack. Nothing. But she's content. And she has Jesus in her heart. See, we, we choose not to live without those things. We choose to add things to our lives. And that's where discontentment comes in. So we need to focus on what we do have and save for the things that we don't have. In that way, what we're doing is we're feeding our contentment attitude instead of our discontentment appetite. Now, let's continue in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But people who long to be rich. Anybody here long to be rich? We have a few that are being honest. I mean, I don't think there's anything with longing for better than what we have. But look at the caution here. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... Now, I don't know how many times I've heard this verse miss. Uh, quoted. It is not, for money is the root of all evil. I've heard that said over and over. No, look what it says. For the love of money is at the root of all evil? No, all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, all of us want to be better off than we are. And there is nothing wrong with living within your means and then saving for the future so that you can have a better kind of life. Dave Ramsey always says, live like no one else now. That means live within financial guidelines now so that later you can live like no one else. If you will, if you will choose now to live without some things, in the future you can have some things. But you buy those things out of the financial margin you have, not with money that you don't have. A credit card, something like that. Now, people who long to be rich, if, if becoming wealthy or the desire for others to think you're wealthy is your consuming priority, you need to watch out. The idea is there are people who want more than they need. They are consumed by wanting more, feeding the discontentment appetite. And here's the warning. If you're one of these people that is feeding your discontentment appetite, watch out because there is a specialized temptation designed by the enemy who wants to take you down. It is designed especially for people who love money. And he's going to destroy you because of that love. If you feed that discontentment appetite, you're setting yourself up for this very specific, very specialized temptation designed for you. The love of money can, can ruin you. Because what you do is you begin feeding that appetite, and the more you get, the more you want, the more you spend. If you have more than you need, watch out. Your appetite is going to consume you. Entire families have been destroyed because someone in the family desired things more than anything else. And then if you look at the last part of that verse, can you pop that back up there? Last part of verse 10. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some people have actually left Christianity because they fed this discontentment appetite and they wandered away from knowing Christ. They wandered away from the family of God. Now, we said last week that, that how people get into financial trouble is following a bad roadmap. Let's, let's review that real quick. Here it is. Spend it. Here's the bad roadmap. Spend it, 
repay debt, pay taxes, save it, and give it. Now, if you follow this roadmap, I can guarantee that you will end up in financial trouble. You will end up at discontentment. If what you do is you practice leftover saving and leftover giving, how much do you have leftover at the end of the month? Squat. Thank you. That is a biblical term. Squat. Is it the wise thing to do to, to practice leftover saving and leftover giving? Because if, if God is interested in our finances, not because He needs it, but because He wants our heart, and He knows the number one competition for our heart is money, if God is interested in finances and we say we're going to follow God, is it wise to ignore God, to rob God and rob your future? Is that wise? No. Well, let's look at God's roadmap. His roadmap to financial uh, freedom. First one is give it. Second one is save it. Third is pay taxes. Fourth is repay debt. And fifth is spend it. You'll notice that that's the complete opposite roadmap of the bad roadmap I showed you. Complete opposite. Now think this through. If giving to the kingdom of God is... Um, invites the God of the universe to be involved in your finances. All right? If, if that's what the Bible says, if giving to the kingdom of God invites the God of the universe into your finances, is it wise to put giving last? It ought to be the first check that we write each month is to support His kingdom. And many times people say, oh, wait, 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 i got so much debt. Shouldn't I wait until I get out of debt before I fund God's kingdom? And my answer is always the same. Exactly when do you want God involved in your finances? Do you want God involved in your finances now or after you've paid off debt? Answer that question and that will tell you when you begin to fund God's kingdom. Now, if you follow that roadmap, the next thing is to pay yourself. Those of us in FPU, we've begun, we've begun uh, starting our emergency fund, which is baby step one. Baby step one is $1,000 set aside. This is not in any other account that you have. It is set aside for emergencies. How many times have you had an emergency happen in your life? Never? In the last year, have you had what you could term a financial emergency? You know what a financial emergency is? Anything that costs more than what you got in the bank. Now, how many of you have had a financial emergency in the last year? where you have to slap out that Capital One card. What's in your wallet? And then you get further and further behind. If we get this, uh, if we pay ourselves and get this first, then, then when emergencies come up, we have a cushion. We've got margin. And I'll tell you this, when you've got margin, whenever something happens to my car and there's an amount of money that's in there and I can pay the bill, you know what that does to my stress level? What stress level? When our washing machine of 19 years went out and Janie told me that she had been secretly hiding money for four years, this was another emergency fund. She had $1,000 in her uh, appliance emergency fund. You know how much stress there was when she said, well, should we repair the 19-year-old one or should we get a new one? I'm like, baby, you just took all of the question out of that. We got cash. Let's go get a new one. And she's already started replenishing the fund because she knows the dryer, which was also 19 years old. We're living on borrowed time. I said, let's not do that. Let's replenish the fund until, until that goes out. So when you have that, when you pay yourself, stress goes out of your lives, out of your family, out of your marriages. 
Then you pay taxes. Most of you have taxes taken out of your paycheck at work, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, most of you, if you are buying a house, then your escrow account, you have the taxes taken out and it's in that escrow account. We don't have that. We, we pay our own taxes, so we have a certain amount every month that goes into a separate, we call it our freedom account, so that when our taxes come due in January, that money is there and you go write the check because the money's there, you deduct it from the account, and there is just a lot of freedom knowing that it's there. Um, and then once you get to that point, you live on the leftovers. Now, following the bad roadmap is what got you into trouble. Don't get mad at me. Don't kick and yell and scream and say, there's no way, there's no way I can fund God's kingdom and pay myself and pay taxes and then live. Yeah, you can. You just don't want to. Because a lot of people have walked before you and they've done it. There is a way. You're just living in denial and you need to come to celebrate recovery because that's step one in recovery is is admitting denial. And that doesn't matter whether it's finances or, or discontentment or, or I, I eat too much, which I eat too much, um, and I need to come to recovery to recover from that. Somebody said, a friend of mine said, hey, have you lost weight? And I thought, he has not seen the credit fairy um, because I just covered up. Credit fairy, there's no hiding. Um, 1 Timothy 6.11, let's continue with what God says. But you, Timothy, now let me explain this. Timothy, First and Second Timothy, are letters written by Paul. Paul is at the end of his lifetime. He's in prison, and he's writing letters to this young pastor named Timothy. Timothy had been one of his closest companions and had gone around with him to establish churches all over Asia. And so what he had done, Paul would often say, send Timothy here, send Timothy here, send Timothy here. Right now, this letter, Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul founded this church and spent three years of his life founding the church in Ephesus. And this letter, he's writing back to Timothy to say, okay, there's some stuff going on, but you need to be encouraged. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. All right, with that in mind, here's what he says. But you, Timothy, belong to God. So run. There's that, there's that run again. If you run from sexual temptation, I mean run. You, you get up and run, you're not going to accidentally have sex. If you run from financial temptation, and if you have to take it literally, you run. You're not going to fall into financial temptation. Run from all these evil things and follow what is right and good. Pursue a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. He's saying here is the framework for how you live not the discontented life, but the content life. Stop chasing money and start chasing the things of God. Refocus from the bad roadmap to the good roadmap. That's the only way to avoid the trap of discontentment. The way you deal with it is not to pretend that you're content. We said that. The way you deal with it is to start chasing something else. Now, look at verse 17. Tell those who are rich. Now, actually, there's another translation that says command. A little bit stronger. Command those who are rich in this world, and that's you. Um, you can go online and, and you can find out how rich you are compared to the rest of the world. And I'm willing to bet most people in here are, are richer than 98% of the rest of the world. I've done it. I've, I put in the numbers and, you know, I thought I was pretty poor until I saw that, that I'm rich compared to people in, in third world countries and I'm in the 98th percentile in the world and, and you are too. So he says, command people who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And here's that word again. Tell them, command them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. 
Command those who have more than they need. That's all of us. This is not optional. Command them not to trust money. If there was ever a time not to trust money, have you all been watching Wall Street and all of the banks that are failing lately? If there's ever a time not to trust in money, now's it. Don't trust in money. Um, And by the way, do you know why all those organizations are struggling? Because the leaders of those organizations fed the appetite of discontentment. I don't know if you've read some of the salaries that even some of the people of the failed banks got. It's obscene how much money they got. And they they ran their businesses feeding this appetite of discontent. And and so not only did they take down their business, they're attempting to take down the financial markets in America and, and disrupt the financial markets all over the world. It's because they fed an appetite and it doesn't go away when you feed it. They wanted more and more. Now, verse 18, it says, Command them to use their money to do good. What that means is do things for others so that they will see the things you've done and not the thing you've drive. You know who cares about what you drive? I shared this years ago, and it's, it's one of my favorite lines. It's not original with me, but um, about two years ago I shared this in a sermon. You know who, and I was reading from an article, you know who cares what you drive? You and really shallow people who suck. So if you want to please really shallow people who suck, then then worry about what you drive. My friends and my family, my true friends and my family, do not care what I drive as long as it gets there most of the time. And then my real friends, they'll come and tell me when it doesn't make it. Um, Do things for others so that they'll see what you've done and not what you drive. Follow God's roadmap so that you'll be able to fund His kingdom, plan for emergencies, and be generous. A lot of times you are some of the most generous people in the world, but you don't have any extra. And it's hard to be generous when you don't have any extra. Um, Look at verse 19. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. Real life. Do you realize what most people are living, the people who are feeding the appetite of discontentment, they're living a fake life. Have you ever thought about Hollywood stars? If your bank account, the size of your bank account or the size of your paycheck equals happiness, they should be the happiest people on the planet. So how come their marriages fail at an alarming rate? How come they're going into drug and alcohol rehab at an alarming rate? And those who don't, you know what they tend to do? They tend to become tree huggers and and try to save all the trees or or whales or, or the little bluebird finch blue-billed finch or whatever. They try to they get all these pet projects because they desperately want their, their lives to matter and their lives are empty. Money is not the answer to all your problems. And when they do some looking in the mirror and, and soul-searching, they know that their lives are meaningless. Why do they get tummy tucks and butt tucks and, and have their, their wrinkles pulled out of their faces so that when they're old and are supposed to have wrinkles, they look like... They can't smile. They can't close their mouths because they've got so many injections. It's because they're empty on the inside. So that must not be the way of life. Chasing stuff sucks the life right out of you. And God never blesses a person just so that you can keep the blessing. If God has blessed you, there's a reason. He wants you to be a conduit that passes that blessing on to others. God always blesses you so that you can bless others. So if you really want to to defeat discontentment, 
then the, the answer is to follow God's roadmap and become generous. Because here's the last one. Generosity defeats discontentment. Around here, we teach priority percentage giving. What that means is at the first of the month, we teach, Janie and I practice this, many of you practice this, we teach that you take um, the first check that you write after a paycheck, and and we do it twice a month because we get paid twice a month. I used to run the finances, and I did it every week. Janie does it every time we get a check. She writes out a check to the church. That's first, and it is a percentage of our income. And some of you are freaking out because you go, you know how how much 10% is? I, I can do the math. I do the math on ours. And there's a group of us that actually give more than 10%. We give 10% to fund just the general budget here, and then there's a group of us that give an extra amount every month to pay for this building. There's about four to $500 every month that comes in. It's just for the building fund. And there's about five or six of us that do that. And the reason we do that is because we want to pay off this so that when God continues to bless us and we get bigger, we're ready for the next stage. And so every month that four to $500 goes on the principal only of our loan so that we can pay this off quicker. Um, but the Old Testament teaches 10% is the starting point. Now some of you are freaking out and you're going, oh, I can't do 10%. We'll start somewhere. But pick a percentage and do it at the first of the month so that then you're inviting God to be in, in the midst of your finances. And then work your way up. Um, because if you really want to, to defeat discontentment, then you, you follow God's plan. The New Testament doesn't give a percentage. The New Testament says on the first day of the week, set aside um, as the Lord blesses you, and you give that to fund God's kingdom. And so the idea is priority and a percentage, and we do that consistently, and then we trust God for the rest. But here's the deal. You can't give 10% of your income and then be a, an idiot with the other 90%. God doesn't bless that. I mean, I just gave you the roadmap. Second thing He wants you to do is He wants you to pay yourself. So 10% goes to um, the church. 10% goes to savings. We teach our kids this. They have a bank, and, and now Caleb's actually too old for that. He, he puts his in an envelope system just like Dave Ramsey, and he's about to buy the Dave Ramsey envelope system. But, but we, we give to our kids, and we have these three banks. One bank is the, is the uh, giving bank, and so 10%, whatever they get. If they get a buck, then 10 cents goes in there. And then 10 cents goes in the savings, and then 80%, they get to spend on whatever they want. We want our kids to grow up that way. And so if you want to, to be blessed by God, then live on the 10-10-80 plan. Because then you are storing up for your future. Go into the book of Proverbs and all the time it says, A diligent man plans for the future, but a fool wastes everything he has. I've been the fool. Where I'm at the end of the month saying, Oh, what's going to happen? And when I do things God's way, then I have prepared for the future. And, and even if, when I do things God's way, even if emergencies come up, God blesses me in other ways that I don't even see coming. But you've got to be in a position where God will bless you. And the way you get into that position is you follow God's roadmap. In America, we are constantly being shown what we don't have. Right? They're trying to feed your appetite of discontentment so that you'll go out and buy something. We could actually live our whole lives and never have to come face to face with what other people don't have. I was looking at some um, before and after photos yesterday of, of Hurricane Ike. And, you know, I've got a brother that lives in Baytown. He's told me all kinds of stories. He had an 80-foot tree that was bent over so violently that he now has a horseshoe in his yard because the top of the tree was driven in the ground. So he's got a 30-foot horseshoe in his yard. 
Um, that's really about the worst damage that was done to him. But I was looking at these photos, before and after photos uh, yesterday in a business, um, and, and it was amazing because you would look at this, and I've been on the seawall many times, I love Galveston. You would look at this picture and you'd see these buildings and businesses. You look at this picture, they're not there. Not like you can see parts of it. For example, the Hooters that was there, I mean, it was marked on the thing, Hooters. Never been in one, don't ever intend to go in one. But Hooters, I don't care how good the chicken wings are. Um, Hooters was right here. The next picture, you don't see any wood left over from Hooters. There's a business right next to it. It seemed to be pretty good. Then the business next to it, there's nothing left. It seems like the only time in America that we ever see what others don't have is after a disaster hits. But did you, did you hear how quickly they were struggling for donations? First two or three days after the disaster hit, oh man, donations are pouring in. But they said they are out of money and nobody's giving because i got to spend it on me. This year for Christmas, I want us to do something different. We've, we've adopted schools around here and we've adopted families and we've done different things. This year, and, and this is pretty funny, I was, I've wanted to do this for years, just hadn't done it. But I went online, you can actually Google this, you can say, buy a cow for hunger. And the top of your, your search list will be the International Heifer Organization. Now back when I was in high school, that would have had a different connotation, but um, this is actually a cow. Um, the International, because we played the Hereford White Faces, and anyway. Um, you can buy a cow. Now, now here's, here's what I want us to do. The first Sunday of October, November, and December, and then through December, um, if you want to keep giving, you can do that. We never, you know we never pass the offering plate here. We're going to do it the first Sunday of October, November, and December because what I want to do is I want to purchase chickens. A flock of 10 to 50 chickens costs 20 bucks. And what they do is they'll give these to a family and they'll, they'll keep the eggs that they need and it's protein that a family doesn't have and then they'll sell some of the eggs and then as, as chickens, they are required by the organization, by the International Heifer Organization, to give the living chickens to someone else in their community. And they said within a couple of years, everybody in the community will have chickens. They're easy to feed. They'll eat just the scraps from the table. They don't take up much space. And they fertilize the garden. What could be better than that? We don't have commercials like that in America. We need, we need more commercials like that. Um, it said that an average hen will have 200 eggs per year. If we want to buy a cow, a heifer, $500 for a cow. The average healthy cow can have one calf every year. You know what they're supposed to do with that extra calf? Give it to another family in need. Within a few years, you can have influenced a whole um, uh, area, civilization down there in, in some of the third world countries with cows. I think that's pretty cool. You can buy part of a um, water well. A water well itself costs $5,390. You can buy a share of water wells for 75 bucks. There's a love basket. A love basket or a share of a love basket it, is a share of a heifer, a goat, a water buffalo, because those things provide milk and they provide plowing um, prowess to break the ground and lots of fertilizer. What I want us to do is I want us to do something that will make a difference in, in some other country for people that don't have what we have because we are insanely rich compared to them. You don't need a cow to survive. I actually had a little girl at the football game the other night give me a cow bingo thing. I didn't know what was going on. Cute little girl walks up and hands me this and she goes, cow bingo. And I'm like, what? She goes, you have a cow? And I'm like, no, baby, I don't have a cow. What it was was you toss cow patties 
for this bingo game. And I was like, wow, that's a new one. Um, I don't have a cow, baby, and I don't in, intend to pick any of that stuff up. Um, but, but what I want us to do is make a difference because we are insanely rich compared to others. And if you want to get off this discontentment highway, generosity is the key.